Thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you are listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. Well, good morning. Thanks for being at Open Life today on this Memorial Day weekend. And so I just want to take a t- moment and just say, um, to those that have served our country in any capacity or are in the public sector serving communities or teachers and anything, we just want to say thank you for doing that. And just to take time tomorrow to you know, pray for those people that are serving our country currently, but also to remember, um, that's Memorial Day, to remember um, the sacrifice that so many have made serving our country and giving up their lives for that. And so we just want to say thank you for that. We honor those people, and we hold them in high esteem for the way that they serve um, fellow men. And so we thank you for that. And so uh, hopefully as we've been going through Luke, as we've been processing the life of Jesus for the last like year and a half, um, hopefully you've been challenged to kind of follow along with us in the book of Luke. Um, and so I just did a little bit of like um, number crunching, um, little really hard math stuff. Um, but I just wanted to say there's just something about reading through scripture and connecting the dots. The passage that we're going to be talking about today connects with what we talked about last week. And so if you weren't here last week, you can listen to the message online on the app. Um, There's plenty of ways to get connected to that. But hopefully, um, I just want to challenge you, why don't you read Luke with us this week? Like process the next verse for next week or read the next chapter. Um, Just because I just did some number crunching. And just to say, like, if you're depending on open life, to walk you through the whole Bible. If like, so if like you come on Sundays and you say, well, this is the only Bible that I read all week. This is the only scripture I read all week. Then you're really missing out on some things. Uh, so there's 31,173 verses in the Bible. And so usually we've been, during this series, we, I just guessed on average we've been doing 15 verses per week of Luke. And so then I, I said, well, okay, if we did that for the whole Bible, how long would it take us? Well, it would take us 2,078 weeks to do a message series on the Bible that went word for word if you did 15 verses a week. And so then I figured out, okay, well, you know, if you come, you know, every, if you come every Sunday because you really want to walk through the whole Bible and that's the only time you're going to read the Bible, well, you, it'd take you 40 years of coming to open life uh, to, to get the whole Bible from what we speak on, 15 verses a week. And so I just use that to encourage you uh, to open up your scriptures during the middle of the week. Just to say, you know, God, what do you have speaking for me personally? I know you're, you're speaking to the pastors, through the pastors at Open Life, they have their message series, but God, what do you have for me this week? And so I want to encourage you, to, if you have never started a reading plan of just day by day, walking through Bible, um, we have tools for you to be easily do that. And one of the coolest apps um, online is the YouVersion app. And there's like 
probably tens, not hundreds, but there's tens of different kind of Bible um, translations or paraphrases that you can read. And so if you say, you know, I just need to mix it up, that doesn't mean not reading your Bible. That means, well, try reading in a different version or try reading in a paraphrase that just kind of makes you think in a different way. And so on the app and online on our notes page, you can, there's three um, version Bible plans that I picked. One's like a really simple devotional from Hillsong with 40, day, 40 days of revival. One's um, to walk through all the Gospels in 30 days. And then the other one is if you want to challenge yourself, it's not too hard, but it takes day-by-day commitment, is a one-year Bible plan. So you can easily do that. But also, if you don't have an app or you're not into that, um, you can still go online, look at the plans, and then read on your paper Bibles if you'd like. That's totally fine. I do that sometimes to mix it up. Um, But we have reading plans in the back at the Connect table where if you want to start in James and John, you can do that. And it's cool. There's like grace days built in. So if you miss, you can catch up um, on a day. You know, there's grace. This isn't some legalistic thing we're encouraging you, but it's to impact your life, to encourage you, and to really help you walk through scriptures with us. Because if you're depending on open life to walk you through the Bible— I mean, I hope you're there on our 40th anniversary, um, but we, we do repeat verses like on Christmas and Easter and stuff like that, so it's going to be even longer than that. But so let's, you know, let's, let's rejoice, let's pray for that 40-year mark, but let's also read our Bibles during the week and be students of the Word. And so, getting into today's talk, um, and it, it goes along, like, reading Scripture is all a part of this, but I was thinking, okay... In life, we all have needs and we all have wants, right? That's like the story of life almost. It's like being content somewhere in the middle of having our needs, but also having our wants and like wanting things too. And so what are our needs? The, the basic needs are food, shelter, and clothing. Like, you know, if you have those things, you can live. You can live with those built-in needs. But then you also have wants, And so for these types of things, you have like leisure stuff, things you do, things you don't need to live, but things you like to do. You have entertainment. I have my sounders. If my voice sounds scratchy, it's because I was yelling at them at the game last night because it was so boring. They weren't doing anything. But like that's entertainment. I could say I really need to be at the sounders game, but that's a want. That's I want to be at the sounders game, and I'm privileged to be there when I am there. But then you have other wants are might be higher quality of the needs that you have. And so, you know, you could have shelter, but a shelter could be in so many things really basic. I mean, it could be as small as like a 10-foot room, and that's your shelter. But as we live and as we, our wants grow and they impact our needs, maybe we want a nicer accommodation, a nicer house, or maybe we want to go out to eat at a nicer restaurant. I tried a restaurant in Bellevue called Din Tai Fung last night, or yesterday, and it's really good. It's like all pot stickers and dumplings and really good food, and so I encourage you if you're there. There's only like three restaurants in the whole world, and so it's really, really good. But that's not a need. I don't need to eat that every day. I probably shouldn't eat that every day. And so it's a want. That is a want. I want to eat that every day, but I shouldn't. And so... Personally, for me, birthdays, this is where needs and want comes into play. Because I used to be a big proponent of when I bought gifts for other people or if I asked for gifts for, like, my birthday. 
I would say, you know what, birthdays and Christmas, you know, where you give presents to people, that's where you give people not what they need. You get stuff for them that they want, you know? And so, like, when I was in college, I needed food money or I needed a gift card for gas, but I, I you know, I wanted a TV, you know, I wanted, you know, I wanted an Xbox. I wanted, I wanted things. I didn't want for my birthday to get, like, money that I had to go spend on food or to spend on my needs. But wisdom has taught me that the perfect gift is sometimes the one that fulfills both your need and your genuine want. And that's the kind of, this, what we're going to talk about today is that sweet spot where need and wanting lines up together. And so there's different ways to look at needing and wanting stuff. It affects the way we think. You know, I need and should drink water, but there's oftentimes, you know, I would just love an ice cold Coca-Cola, you know, like out of the glass bottle, you know, you buy the big case at Costco. That's like my want all the time. But yet after I exercise, after I've done like, you know, a long run or something, I come home and my body's at the point where I need water and I want water. I don't want to drink Coke right after a run. It's just going to make me sick. But my needs and wants line up because of the way that I've like put my body through immense amount of suffering, <laughs> like running. And so I want and need the water. But it also affects the way we interact with people. Have you been on social media? Have you looked at the way people live? Oftentimes we see other people doing cool stuff and we say, I need that. No, you want that. You want that experience. You don't need it. So then comparison comes in, and then it can become really unhealthy because you're saying, you know, I want to live their life, but, but you're supposed to live your life and share all the parts and cool, the bad, the ugly. Share those parts of your life, and other people can be encouraged by that and challenged by that as well. And then economically, you know, building a budget based on your needs and wants is really an important way to have successful and healthy finances. But I was looking at some economic thought on this, and they said, well, there's really, the, one thinking of, of this is that there really are no needs. There's just wants with differing importance. So that kind of makes sense. I could see that. I guess, like, you know, I really want food, clothing, and shelter, so I would say their needs. So I guess they're just more important on the wants list. So I'm going to do those first. So you can think of it different ways. But today I want to talk specifically about how we think about this spiritually. Do I need Jesus? And then the next logical step, what we're going to hit on today, is do I want Jesus? Do I need Jesus? The answer is yes. Spoiler alert. But do I want Jesus? And my hope for you, spoiler alert, is that you would say, yes, I want Jesus. Because that's important. That's the sweet spot where in our relationships with Jesus, when love truly comes to the the top of our relationships with, with Christ, is when our need and our want are close together and we hold those up to Jesus and say, I love you. I'm all about you. I want to lay my life down for you. Dave said it perfect when he was introducing that new song, is that sometimes Jesus changed stuff. There's different teachings where you're like, man, that's challenging. But if you love Jesus, you realize you need him, and then the next step is to want him. And so maybe an indication of spiritual maturity is our ability to understand, even if I didn't need Jesus, would I still want him? 
And it's a tough question because I think a lot of times we come to church, we come into a relationship with Jesus because we want salvation. We want that, that, that like eternal life. And it's, it's like the, the thing lots of preachers use to bait you into coming into a relationship with Jesus. Well, you're going to go to hell if you don't. You need salvation. But if that wasn't on the table and we looked at the way Jesus lived and we looked at his life, would we still want Jesus? And that's a challenging. But, but I think a better way of looking at that is does my want, longing, and desire match my eternal and infinite need for Jesus? We all need Jesus. That's without question. We all need salvation. But have we moved from our need of Jesus to pursue wanting him and having that relationship with him? And so it's an important cycle of continually needing while also wanting him as close to the same measure as possible. So just keep that in mind as we read today's scripture. And so we're piggybacking, piggybacking from last week's message, and Jesus is now speaking to the Pharisees in the verses that we're reading. We're kind of jumping in the middle of it, but Jesus is talking to the Pharisees right here, and we'll connect what we talked about last week a little bit to what we're talking about today. So in Luke 16, 16 is where we're starting out. Jesus says, and he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, saying, you know what? The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, and now the kingdom of God is here. There's a new way of thinking, and Jesus is like, everyone's going to be put into it for good and for bad. Some people are going to follow, some people aren't. And he's like, are you guys going to listen? And so we talked about this a few weeks, or maybe it was months back, but in Luke 13, 24, Jesus said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. It's the fact of the matter is, the narrow door is open for everyone, but only certain people are going to choose to walk through it. Lots of people are going to choose not to. And that's what Jesus is saying again. He's like, you guys have heard the law and the prophets. And now the kingdom of God is here, and are you seeing it? Are you hearing it? And they didn't. I mean, again, spoiler alert. The Pharisees continually back and forth with Jesus. They didn't get it. And so we continue on in Luke 16, uh, verses 17 and 18. Jesus said, It's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so Jesus is using this view on divorce as an example of Old Testament law. And he's using it to illustrate that now Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, but the spirit of the law is still in place. God still does not like divorce, even though the Pharisees and other people found ways to loophole the, the teaching on divorce. And so we read in Matthew that the exception of cases of sexual immorality is added to divorce, but God's view on divorce is still that he doesn't like it. He, God would never want people to join in a relationship together and then to break that apart. We're told that marriage is an example of Jesus loving his church, and if I'm going to love Jesus and pursue a life of him, I don't want him to eventually divorce and go away from the deal. And so that's what, that's what Jesus teaches. That's what God taught in the Old Testament is like 
when you're married, it is so important that you stay together that it's wrong for you to split apart. And Luke 16, 15 says, this is again, this is what we talked about last week, but Jesus said, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And so their culture at that time, much like ours, found ways to get out of marriages for petty reasons. Even one school of religious thought at this time would allow divorces in the extreme cases of a burnt meal. Like, someone burnt a dinner, and that's grounds for divorce. It's crazy, and it's stupid. And then, uh, I mean, so then they would even allow it for if the, if the man saw another woman who was more attractive than his wife, that would be grounds for divorcing his wife. And so that happens now today, and, you know, we have our reasons. A lot of times in our culture, divorce is because of financial reasons, and then there's the famous irreconcilable differences, and I don't even know what that means a lot of times. It's just you could, you know, you could have irreconcilable differences on, you know, one spouse liking Oregon State beavers and one spouse liking the Oregon Ducks as my house, but I would never, you know... I would, that would be the dumbest thing ever. But that's the culture that they live in, and oftentimes it's the culture that we live in. Our marriages and our relationships are not a joke. But at that time, the Pharisees found ways to get out of marriages or to encourage other people or to allow other people to get out of marriages. And they found ways to do it in the law. And Jesus is saying, you know the law And this is not what God had intended. And so even though you know the law and you've heard the prophets, I'm here now and you can't see me. You're looking at the law on a thin level and you're not looking at the deeper meanings of it. And so Jesus came as a pure expression and fulfillment of the law. He gives us the example of self-sacrificial love for his church that we need to apply in our marriages. But when husbands and or wives don't live that out, and adultery or abuse happen, divorce is going to happen. It's just a fact. People are going to divorce. And so there's hope and there's grace to walk through that. And so I want to make sure that is expressed today, that if you've walked through a divorce, if you've been in a relationship that has been broken, that there, it doesn't mean that you're scattered out and you're tossed out, but there's grace and there's hope and there's peace out of that situation. But to say that that means Jesus and God honor divorce, and they say it's a, it's a um, thing that you should do when times get tough, that's just not the case. And that's where we look to Jesus and we say, God, give me grace to walk through this situation. Because a lot of times it's not up to the person that wants to follow Jesus. And that's where grace has to happen. We have to have grace for people who have been abused and that have walked through really tough situations. And as one commentary author explains it, he says, Love for God and commitment toward his kingdom is to be such that marriage is not viewed from the perspective of what should our marriage do for me, but rather how can I practice the love of God and my neighbor or mate in this marriage? With such an attitude, there is seldom need for contemplating divorce. And that's truly the case. If you're going to love your spouse to the depth and degree that Jesus loves us and his church, how do you ever get to the point of thinking about divorce? You figure it out. You walk through the situations. But when those times come when one party or both parties choose that, you know, we can't do this, God doesn't honor divorce, 
but he's still going to walk you through it. There's still going to be grace walking through that. And so in this story, Jesus says the law and the prophets point toward God, and John comes. And we talked about that at the beginning of this, this message series way back over a year ago about John proclaiming the kingdom of God, that it was coming. And so then Jesus comes, and Jesus is the good news. He's the gospel. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And now he's saying to everyone, follow me, and if you do, you've seen God. And for them, that's encouraging. But for the Pharisees, that was not encouraging because they did not see God through Jesus. And so then Jesus tells this parable. And this is where we're going to hit for the rest of our time is this parable that Jesus says. It's Luke 16, 19 through 31. So Jesus starts off and says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So I guess that's kind of cute. You know, I have a dog named Walter, and I mean, a stat that often gets floated around in our house, not necessarily by me, is that a dog's mouth is five times cleaner than a human's mouth. And so, you know, I guess it's awesome that those dogs would clean, you know, their, the sores of this beggar and this poor man. But no, this is a joke. You know, Dogs' mouths are gross. Dogs licking people is gross. Let's just be honest. Sometimes it's it's nasty. You know, I let Walter kiss me sometimes, but I immediately wash my mouth out with soap. So, uh, so anyway, confession. But um, but know that this is not some cute story about a dog or old yeller. You know, being faithful to his master. This is a dog just finding something to eat, and he's licking the sores of a poor and sick person. And so then the, that story is contrasted, and so the Jesus goes on. He says, the, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. And so Jesus uses two terms in there to talk about afterlife. He uses Abraham's side. And so the exact meaning of that expression of Lazarus being at Abraham's side is not completely known to all scholars, but they do know that ever since this story has been told, that that became an expression to signify heaven. And so then the other word, in Hades, other translations just clearly say hell. And so that's just another word for hell. It's the way that the Greeks understood that hell was also Hades. It's the place of the dead. And so it's the negative contrast to Abraham's side. So you have Lazarus up in heaven, and you have this rich man down in hell. And so the, the, the story continues. But Abraham replied to this man, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There's no do-overs in this story. There's no mulligans. There's no redos. There's no reset button for this rich man. He's stuck in hell. And it's a, it's a scary story because it often can play out 
in our culture, and it can play out in our lives and understanding of heaven and hell. And so the conversation continues. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And so this parable is a good ending to the verses we read at the beginning. Jesus reminded at the beginning of our talk today, he reminded the Pharisees about the law and the prophets and told them about the kingdom of God that John had ushered in. And then he ends this story, this parable, talking about how if Moses and the prophets were not enough for the people in this story, then they're never going to come to realize who God is. That even if Lazarus were to go up to them from the dead, they're still not going to believe. And so, but the confusing part when I read this parable and when I read it is that we don't really know anything about how these two people lived their life, how the rich man actually lived to lived his life, how Lazarus actually, actually lived out his sickness and lived out his life. And so we just know that the rich man lives in luxury and Lazarus is poor and sick. They both die and their roles are reversed from earth into the afterlife. And so we have to remember that parables tell us what the kingdom of God is like, not how it literally is. And so if this was an actual story of two people that Jesus is telling, it'd be pretty a poor story because Jesus didn't give us any details. Well, okay, like, how do we go from there? Does this just mean that rich people go to hell and poor, sick people go to heaven? And, like, that's just not how it is. And if you look at Jesus' teaching throughout Scripture, and this is why it's important to come on Sundays and know the context of the stories, but to know the bigger aspects of Scripture and to understand things. And so when you read parables, you understand, well, this is a story to tell us a point, not to tell us the actual teaching of what heaven and hell is like. And so I'm left asking myself, where are the clues in this story to fill us in what Jesus wants us to know? And so I believe it's in the dialogue between Abraham and the rich man. Obviously, the man in the story, the rich man, had not followed what Moses had said in the law, what the prophets had been telling his people, and listened to the prophets. And so then we can also think that Lazarus, in his sick and poor state, was still choosing to follow God. And so... You have the rich man down in hell, and he's asking, Abraham, please send Lazarus. He'll be he'll raised from the dead. He'll go to my brothers, and then they'll, they'll believe. And so I read this story, and I'm thinking, okay, like, what do we learn from this? How do I take a step? How do I apply this to my life? And I'm left asking, why did the rich man not listen to Moses and the prophets? Because that seems to be kind of the crux of the issue. Abraham says, you know, even if I sent Lazarus to your brothers, they're not going to believe. They have Moses and they have the prophets, and they have not believed. And it's the perfect ending to the story because that's how Jesus started his conversation out with the Pharisees. He's like, you have the law, you have the prophets, and the kingdom of God is here. And we see through the way the Pharisees lived their lives that they never responded to it. And so in light of Jesus saying last week 
when we, what we read is what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. That was like one of the main things I got from last week's talk is that what people value highly is oftentimes detestable in God's sight. I'm left thinking that the rich man didn't have a realization that he needed God in order to truly want him until it was too late. The rich man doesn't even have a name in this story. He's just a rich man. And his only description is that he lives in luxury and that he's dressed in purple clothing. And so it's not a stretch to think that the rich man's worldly wants clouded his need for God. If you have everything in this life, why would you even want to pursue the next? And even think about the next because you're living it up in this life. And so our first point today is a realization of the need of Jesus can lead to wanting him. When we realize that we need Jesus, that should well up inside of us to become wanting of that fact. Think about Lazarus. He has nothing, and you understand why he, why he was living that perfectly. He needed God. He needed hope. He was in this sick, poor state, and he just needed something to get him through this. I mean, he even begged for the crumbs off of the rich man's table. You think of anyone in life, someone that needs Jesus, that needs hope, that needs peace, that needs grace. It's someone like Lazarus, someone who has dogs licking his sores. And so we look at Lazarus's life and we say, how can I have that even if I'm not sick? I'm not saying that you have to be sick or you have to be poor or you have to be going through these hard trials in order to know who Jesus is or to need him and want him. But there is a struggle for all of us who might not actually need him, that we are well-fed, we are, we are in good situations. For us to understand, how do I realize the need and let that affect my life so much that I want to follow Jesus, that I actually love Jesus no matter what? And so when we remember that Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees, the purpose of this story becomes clear. Jesus is telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus to a bunch of rich people. People who thought they had it together. People who thought they were right in the law. That they could do their things, find loopholes in the law, and live out their lives. And Jesus is saying, no, listen to this story, you guys. Listen to, I'm trying to teach you that you need to need me, and you need to want me, and you need to follow me. But you're missing it. You're missing out on everything. Before the parable, Jesus says the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. He then ends the parable with this indictment to the men in this story, but also the Pharisees would have heard this as an indictment on them because he says if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And so this happens in the parable. They didn't realize it in the parable. This happens to the Pharisees. They didn't realize it then. And this, this expression of even if a dead man rose, for the Greeks, that this, the Greeks and the Gentiles that this book was listen, written to, they would hear this and say, I get it now. The Pharisees lived their lives. They knew the law and the prophets. They grew up in the law and the prophets. But they still did not acknowledge who Jesus was even after he rose from the dead. And so this question is put on us today as well. He's, for us here today, is that we know the stories of Moses, we know the prophets, and we know Jesus. And so are we going to choose to want him? Do we choose to acknowledge our need for him? 
Romans 10, 1 through through 13 is Paul speaking, and he says this, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So the Israelites, the Jewish people, Paul's need and want for them is that they would be saved. And he goes on, he says, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And listen to this. This perfectly explains what Jesus is saying. Paul says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that, it, that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a lot of scripture right there. And that has a lot of like important teaching that you need to understand. But that pretty much sums up what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is saying, I am the culmination of the law. All you have to do now is follow and believe in me. To say with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am the Savior and you are saved. The good news, their next point, is the good news of Jesus is that everyone can be saved and everyone needs Jesus. And so when we're talking about needs and we're talking about wants and we're talking about our need for Jesus and our want for Jesus, no matter our income, whatever stage of life we are in, no matter our past hurts, our current hurts, our past experiences, if we are sick like Lazarus or if we're as rich as the rich man in this story, The hope of Jesus is that everyone has access to the grace and hope of Jesus coming to earth. And that should be exciting. We all need him, which compels us to want him. Then that is where this conversation of needing and wanting comes into play, is how do we weigh those things in our lives with Jesus And so there's probably one of three people you are today. You need him, but you don't know it yet. You've never come to the true realization that you need Jesus. The second one is like, you need him, you know it, but you've chosen to not want him. And for that, I mourn for people. For people that have known that they need Jesus And they've come to that realization, but they've chosen to not want him and pursue a relationship with him. And the third is, you need him, you know you need it, and you choose to want him. And that's where I want everyone to land today. No matter if you've been a Christ follower your whole life, or if you've just never chosen to take that step. It's like we need to come to a place where we know we need him, but then we choose to want him because of it. Matthew 
11, 25 to 29, Jesus says it, it, he just says it so good. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And Jesus says this, and this is an invitation to all of us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is life. That's the hope of Jesus. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. We all need him. But the question we have to ask is, do we want him? I need Jesus today more than I need food or water. Yet, I had a meal this morning for breakfast, and I could drink this water right now because I want it and need it. But yet, where I need Jesus more than those things, but where does that wanting propel my life in a significant way? And Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm compelled to want that today. That compels me to want to follow Jesus. When I look and read Jesus, the way he lived his life, I want that for my life. I want to follow that. I want to try and live the way that he did. And so for some of us, this can be really offensive, though, to think that you need Jesus so much, you need him more than food or water. Like, are you serious? Like, I see people who don't have Jesus that are, are fine in their lives. And so that's where it can become offensive to people, because we all have different things that we hold in high esteem, whether it is your finances, whether you are living a good life, or whether you have a good family, or you are a good American citizen. Or maybe you come to church and you give and serve and it just doesn't make sense sometimes why God, why can't I just check off the list and live my life? Why do I have to have this like idea of surrender and following Jesus? And that's the problem of the Pharisees is that they had checked off all the boxes, but when Jesus was right there in front of them, they couldn't see them. And so that means laying things down. That means laying our lives down so that, like the song says, we can touch the sky. That means laying down our relationships. It means laying our plans for the future at his feet and saying, God, what do you have for me? It means laying our money down sometimes saying, God, like, let me be wise in my finances. It means laying down our insecurities of saying, you know what, I think I'm terrible at this, but God sees you as his child, and he wants you to have confidence to live a life that would impact other people's lives. And we lay our failures down there as well. And so when we're talking about want and need, and the worship team can come up now, because it's our final point, we're really talking about love and understanding of getting the final point is love, getting my want for Jesus to match my need for Jesus. And so I'm convinced that I may fully never understand how much I need Jesus. It's like a daily reminder sometimes of how many times I fail in light of Jesus. 
And it's just a reminder of how much I need him. And for us to realize that is that it's not, yeah, if we sin, we should ask for forgiveness. But when we just feel like a failure or we don't add up, that should compel us and propel us to love him more. That when we realize we need him at a deeper level, that we should choose to want him at a deeper level. And I believe out of that comes an opportunity for us to love. And my need for Jesus and my want for him are like petals of a bike. It's like a vicious cycle of like my need is pressed down and then my want comes in after it. And then when my want comes down, I realize I need him more. And so it's this daily pedal of like going through life and figuring it out. And that's the life that we're called to live is continually giving ourselves, of laying ourselves before Christ and saying, God, I love you. And so I was thinking about this this week. I just was thinking, God, like, what's the simplest way that I can tell you, like, that I'm about this? And the simplest way you can do that is just to say, I love Jesus Christ. And so in our response time today, just think about those words. I love Jesus Christ. And even say them out loud if you're challenged to. Go home this week and just try it and think, you know, Am I meaning the words that are going to come out of my mouth? I love Jesus Christ. And if you take the words, I, that's like everything you have. And if it's love, the next word is you're laying stuff down at his feet. Love of being fully knowing the need, but also fully wanting Jesus. And then when you get to Jesus, you realize, man, Jesus lived his life. He died, rose again for me, and that's awesome. But if you followed up with Christ, this is where it's like, oh man, he's your savior, your Messiah. This is where like the mystery comes in. And you're like, man, I love Jesus Christ. And that's the love that should propel us to love others. To love our families, to love our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. And that's where life is transformed. Don't be like the Pharisees. Even though they knew the law, they didn't see Jesus. But how do we get to that point of just loving, being propelled by need, and getting to want, and getting to that deep and deep love? And so our action steps today are very simple. The one was at the beginning. Start a Bible reading plan. Learn more about Jesus. Learn more about God. Learn about the law and the prophets. And figure it out for yourself. One of the ways that I oftentimes give to God is like, I get confused by the Bible sometimes. I'm a pastor. I get confused too. And that's okay. But that's where my need and want for Jesus comes in and reassures me that just figure it out. Just keep learning. Just keep reading. Just keep following. Keep walking forward. And so the second one is realize your need. If you've never come to a place where you've said, yeah, I need Jesus. I realize that my life is messed up or my life isn't messed up, but I still need Jesus. And thirdly, this week, grow in your love for Jesus. Let that need, let that want pursue you, pressure you, compel you to love him more. And so I'm going to pray. If you've never chosen to follow Jesus, Today's the perfect opportunity to acknowledge your need and to choose to want him.
And then on your connection card, if you do choose the day to follow Jesus, check the box. We would love to follow up with you and talk to you about that decision. If you're going to do a Bible reading plan and you want some accountability, I will personally, if you mark, like, I'm starting a reading plan, I will email you and say, hey, how's it going? Like, let's get you set up. Like, let's walk through this together. I'll do that personally. But however you want to do that, however you want to respond, like, we would love to pray for you. If you have a need, if you have something going in your life that you want prayer for, we pray for those connection cards every Tuesday night throughout the week as well. And we want to know what's going on in your life. And so that's where we're going to end today, is just to love Jesus more. God, we just want to love you with a deeper love than we had yesterday. A deeper love than maybe we had 10 minutes ago. God, for anyone here that, that has never chosen to follow you, God, we just pray this prayer. God, I need you. And God, I want you. And God, I love you. I love Jesus Christ. Simple as that, God. And then as we follow it up with life, God, let us just pursue you and love you more, God. For people here who have followed you with dedication and devotion their whole lives, God, I just pray your power and the power of your spirit to compel them to love deeper you, but also those around them as well, God. Compel people to let love change and take root in their lives and in their hearts, God. Lord, we love you, and we just give you our praise in your mighty and your precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at openlife.church. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast. But have you ever thought about joining us for a service? We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.